You are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Tuesday, May 10th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Working conditions take the spotlight today on the California Report. While you are enjoying your Egg McMuffin, think about the 8 out of 10 fast food workers who say their employers are shaving their paychecks. A pending bill tries to curb that practice. After regional news and weather, KVMR Youth News Corps reporter Liv Desitel looks into the Centennial Dam Project. And on Money Matters, Mark Cuniberti explores alternatives for investors. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Contract negotiations affecting workers at 29 West Coast ports will begin today. The California Report's Angela Corral has the story. The talks between the International Longshore and Warehouse Union and the Pacific Maritime Association are happening amid pandemic safety issues and growing imports that created long queues of ships waiting to offload cargo. The PMA's Jim McKenna says hours, wages, and working conditions will all be discussed. Hopefully everybody is focused to the point that there will be no further disruption to a fragile supply chain. Um, And I think we're going in with that spirit of cooperation, right? But until you get to the table, until you see the the demands that come across and the proposals that that go across, you know, you're really at a wait-and-see moment in time. In a statement, ILWU International President Willie Adams says workers are looking forward to a contract that, quote, honors, respects, and protects good American jobs. The current contract expires on July 1st, but both sides say they expect negotiations to extend beyond that date. For the California Report, I'm Angela Corral. In other state labor news, some 2,000 employees at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles are expected back on the picket line today. It's part of a week-long strike over what their union claims are low wages and poor working conditions. Among those who have walked off the job are nursing assistants, surgical technicians, and environmental service workers. Doctors and registered nurses aren't part of the strike, and hospital officials say the facility is fully functioning. The two sides are expected back at the bargaining table today. If they don't come to an agreement, the strike will continue through Friday evening. A survey released today reveals wage theft is still a big problem for more than half a million fast food workers in California. As KQD's Farida Javala Romero reports, more than 8 in 10 workers surveyed said employers have shortened them on their paychecks. A lot of people presume fast food workers are teenagers making some extra cash. But in California, most are adult people of color, many immigrants with families and kids to feed and house. Mi nombre es María Bernal. Soy madre soltera de, de tres hijos. María Bernal is a single mother of three who works at a jack-in-the-box near Sacramento. Bernal says for years, she often worked double shifts of 14 hours a day. But she was paid for only about two-thirds of that time. Como le digo, no alcancé yo a pagar los gastos de... Bernal says things got really difficult about two years ago when she fell behind on rent and the family was evicted. She says she and her kids slept in their car for about six months. She says the worst thing about that experience was living in constant fear somebody would break into the car while they were sleeping in it. 
Over the years, she estimates her employer has cheated her out of more than $86,000 in unpaid wages. She figured this out with help from union organizers who are pushing for legislation to address what they say is a long-standing and pervasive problem in California. The impact of wage theft, it is criminal. David Huerta is president of Service Employees International Union, or SEIU, California. The union funds the Fight for 15 campaign, which issued the 2022 California Fast Food Wage Theft Survey. Bilingual outreach workers talk to more than 400 employees across the state. That's not a huge survey, but its findings mirror others. Among the facts, most of the employers shorting their employees are franchises. So when you visit a jack-in-the-box, for example, that restaurant is likely owned by somebody who's paying the company for representing the brand. And Huerta says that's a big part of the problem. It's the pecking order of the injustice that happens that starts from the very top with the corporations who then squeeze the franchisees, who then squeeze the fast food workers. Corporations like KFC or Taco Bell control a lot about how a franchise operates, from what the store looks like, to the hours, to the price of those meals you see advertised on TV. Mix and match the egg McMuffin, sausage McMuffin with egg, or bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit. With any two for just $5? The report notes McDonald's made billions in profit during the pandemic because fast food didn't shut down. But store owners? Not so much, says Ken Jacobs, who chairs the UC Berkeley Labor Center. It becomes very difficult to run a, a profitable store and follow uh, labor and employment laws. Jacob says one thing franchisees can control is what they pay employees. That's what makes shaving paychecks an attractive option for employers looking to bolster slim profit margins, he says. And so who's the, the real responsible party there is the corporate headquarters. They're the ones who are setting the rules that are creating this situation. But who the law currently holds accountable is the store owner because they're the ones who are making those decisions on the ground. A bill pending in the state capitol would make California the first in the nation to shake that system up by making fast food corporations liable for violations at their franchises. AB 257, known as the Fast Recovery Act, passed the Assembly. Now it faces a battle in the Senate. David Huerta with the SEIU, which co-sponsored the bill, says lawmakers should support food workers who were considered essential just a few months ago. Fast food workers understand that they are victims of a system that's been, you know, cars that have been stacked against them, and they want a change. Industry lobbyists, like the International Franchise Association, say corporations don't own the individual franchise stores and don't make employment decisions there. They also say the survey's findings are misleading because of its small sample size of roughly 400 respondents. A spokesman for McDonald's says they increased wages for workers by 10% at company-owned restaurants in 2021, and that many of its franchises also raised wages. Jack in the Box, Subway, Taco Bell, and others did not return a request for comment on the bill or the report's findings. Neither did Maria Bernal's employer. For the California Report, I'm Farida Chavala Romero. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Stanford Healthcare. 
alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area, now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. And that, listeners, is the California Report for Tuesday, May 10th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. In regional news, Californians turned on their sprinklers in force in March, using more water than they did the year before, and the Sacramento Bee says, making a mockery of Governor Gavin Newsom's call for voluntary drought conservation. The State Water Resources Conservation Board said today that per capita urban water usage rose 7% in March compared to a year earlier and was up 14% when compared to March 2020. It was the heaviest consumption of water in March since 2015, when the previous drought was at its worst. With the drought in its third year, Newsom has resisted imposing mandatory conservation. Since last July, he has been asking Californians to voluntarily reduce consumption by 15%. His predecessor, Jerry Brown, ordered 25% mandatory cutbacks in urban water use in 2015. Despite Newsom's call, the cumulative savings since July amount to less than 4%, the state water board said. Joaquin Esquivel, the chairman of the water board, called the latest results a consequence of three consecutive months with practically no rain in much of California. The Bee reports that Newsom's administration immediately called for $100 million in fresh spending to ramp up the state's Save Our Water public relations campaign. Newsom will formally announce the proposed spending on Friday when he releases the annual May revision of the budget he proposed in January. Fans of Peace and Quiet take note, Sunday is No Motor Day at Scott's Flat Lake, sponsored by the Nevada Irrigation District. Non-motorized watercraft, including sailboats, canoes, kayaks, and paddleboards, will be allowed entry to the Scotts Flat Recreation Area without charge. Use of motorized boats will be suspended for the day. Mountain Recreation of Grass Valley will offer free kayak and paddleboard demonstrations, and the Gold Country Yacht Club will give free sailboat rides. Vehicle admission is $15, which includes up to four people. United Way of Nevada County is reminding residents that the Interfaith Food Ministry will present another of its Food Access Saturday events this weekend. The food giveaway is from 10 a.m. to noon Saturday at 440 Henderson Street in Grass Valley. Items include vegetables, fruits, grains, dairy, protein, and, when available, birthday cakes. Food Access Saturday is open to anyone in Nevada County regardless of household size or income. Participants need to show identification and proof of local residence. Even if you still use cassettes or perhaps the occasional 8-track, you might feel wistful about the following news. Apple announced today that it has discontinued manufacture of the iPod, first introduced more than 20 years ago. You can still buy the iPod Touch while supplies last. Turning to the weather, according to the National Weather Service forecast, the storm that brought pea-sized hail, sleet, rain, and even snow plows to our region today will dissipate overnight with dry and warmer weather returning Wednesday. The UC Berkeley Central Sierra Snow Lab tweeted earlier today that it had measured 6.1 inches of new snow for the current storm, bringing the season total there to 110% of average. 
This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley, a slight chance of showers, then clearing after 7 p.m. with a low around 33. Sunny Wednesday with a high near 61. Partly cloudy Wednesday evening with a low of 39. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe, partly cloudy with a low around 17. Isolated snow showers and thunder are possible before 8 p.m., then again after 2 a.m. Wednesday will be mostly sunny with a high near 47. Wednesday night will be partly cloudy with a low around 24. This evening in Sacramento and Woodland will be mostly clear with a low around 43. Wednesday will be sunny with a high near 74. Wednesday night mostly clear with a low around 45. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. The Nevada Irrigation District's proposed Centennial Dam and Reservoir has been a topic of heated debate in our region for many years. In fact, a dam on the Bear River was first proposed in the 1920s. NID says the project is not active at the moment, pending the completion of its plan for water, but neither is it a dead issue. Liv Desitel of the KVMR Youth News Corps talks to Jeff Litton, one of the foremost voices speaking out against the Centennial Dam. The Nevada Irrigation District has proposed a plan called the Centennial Water Supply Project, which has created mixed feelings among the public. According to the NID website, the plan will provide drought and climate change mitigation, meet projected future water supply needs, and improve water supply reliability for NID customers. The site also outlines the size of the reservoir, which is 110,000 acres, and where it will be, which is between the existing Rollins and Comby reservoirs. Now that you know some of the NID details, let's dive further into the plan. I spoke with environmentalist and anti-centennial project local Jeff Litton. Well, hi, my name is Jeff Litton, and I'm from Nevada County here, and uh, third generation of my family to be here, and I make most of my money in tourism. I work as a, as a guide and as a naturalist in other places, and then I also work as an environmental filmmaker. So I'm just going to get right into it. Why cool. are you fighting against the dam? So I heard about Centennial Dam, or the proposal for Centennial Dam, in 2016, and I was really reluctant to get involved, only because you know big projects like these, they take a lot of time, and they usually take a lot of money. Um, and so I was a little bit reluctant at first, but the more that I found out, um, the more that it just kind of became apparent that it's really something that is not going to help the community. You know, the elevation of the dam is from 1,600 feet in elevation up to 1,850. And so, you know, it's down in between Grass Valley and Colfax. And so, you know, it's already taking water out at a very low elevation. So most of this water is not going to be serving Nevada County. It's going to be going to Lincoln and and areas around there and just kind of, you know, being used to fuel development in that area. But also, too, it's the scale of it. So it would drown nine miles of Bear River. Um, and, you know, I think the number that I heard last, something around 24 different families would lose their homes. Um, so that's pretty significant. But also, to the scale of it uh, in terms of the demand on the river. Um, the proposal, um, the, the request is for 221,400 acre feet. Think of 221,000 acres covered with one foot of water. 
And so it's a huge volume of water. And in fact, when you look at NADs, what they've stated as their proposed need in 50 years, it's only one-tenth of the amount of water that they're trying to divert out of Bear River. So they've really oversized uh, the dam and these water rights. And and the whole thing, it kind of comes down to water rights. It's all about... um, Because we're upstream of other water districts like South Sutter Water District and all the agriculture, about 42,000 acres of farmland that uses that existing water, because we're upstream, we we legally, we can can obtain the rights to that quite easily. You know, right now, unfortunately, NID is kind of looking at all that water that goes to this other agriculture as wasted in terms of NID's, you know, budget, water budget, because it's not something they're capturing and selling. So long story short... When you look at the way that it's marketed, um, and it's marketed up and down this uh, up and down the state, that NID can capture this water and sell it out of the district to pay for it. But what they're looking at doing is is essentially taking that water from the other users downstream, being forty two. I think the number I read was forty two thousand acres of farmland. So basically, wow. this water that goes down Bear River uh, comes from the Uber River, comes from the Bear River. Uh, and then it supplies about 42,000 acres of farmland. To summarize Lytton's views, this massive reservoir will be made much larger than needed. NID's future projections of water needs are unnecessarily exceeded with the Centennial Project. According to Lytton, water will just be sold out of district. You know, it's pretty scary you know, there was a time when, uh, during the debates um, a couple of years ago, somebody asked Scott Miller, who was a director who was voted off of the board because of his, you know, probably because of his advocacy, strong support for Centennial Dam. But somebody asked, "What about that water? What about all those farms who are going to need that water downstream?" And he said, "Well, we've won. Essentially, what he said is, we've won the lawsuits in the past, and we'll continue to win those lawsuits because they're not in our district." And so they can get a right to it. Also, too, the plot deepens just a little bit in that, you know, the the water rights that they're trying to secure for a new dam in 2022, they would, the rights go back to 1927. And so it's this really weird loophole where they can essentially obtain or, you know, uh, they can be allocated these old water rights. And the thing with old water rights is that it's not based on modern science or modern data. And so if we look at an example like the Colorado River, where a huge amount of water was allocated and diverted from the Colorado River, so much so that now it no longer flows to the ocean. And so, you know, the, that's how you kill a river, is you, yeah. is you cut it off from the ocean. Long story short, Centennial, I think, is the same way in that I think that we're looking at things uh, with blinders on. I think the Nevada Irrigation District, they're looking at this ability to capture water rights and then send those down throughout Southern California without thinking about the system that they're connected to here. NID Centennial Project Manager Doug Roderick refused to comment on the issue because it is not an active project. At the NID March 23rd Board of Directors meeting, Director Chris Beerwagon expressed his continuous support for the Centennial Project. Here is Beerwagon. So, I will be campaigning on this issue as far as continue to support the, you know, and, and if we even had uh, half of that water storage today, we would not be talking about drought. We would have, we would have that water. A yeah, full complement and surplus. And then we'd have some, we could help out other parts of the state. How many farmers would love to have that water? 
Yeah. <laughs> that a city would love to have it. Yeah. What are you continuing yeah. to support? What's that? What are you continuing to support? The, the Centennial Reservoir. NID's positive claims include drought mitigation and the recapturing of water lost due to climate change and a reduced snowpack. NID will continue to meet existing water delivery commitments and it will allow more flexibility for future water supply needs of NID customers. Flooding nine miles of Bear River can have a larger environmental impact than one may think. Here is Lytton. When you flood a river, what you do is you're turning um, a, a very viable ecosystem, a riparian ecosystem that supports many different animals. And, and in a very big way, you're turning it into an ecological wasteland. It also creates uh, a major impact for animals who are migrating from one side of the river to the other. So you're blocking that migration from animals. Moreover, it's also um, really changing the, the dynamic of the ecosystem and the other animals like our fish. As far as actual progress made, we do know from NID's records that the agency has spent over $11.3 million from 2014 to 2017 on the project. According to the union and a quote from project manager Doug Roderick, the district has purchased 25 properties, eight of which include homes. The rest of the spending has gone to engineering and real estate consultants, staff time, and legal fees related to Centennial. If the project becomes active, more information will come. For KVMR News, I'm Liv Desitels. Today on Money Matters, Mark Cuniberti introduces listeners to an alternative to keeping money in stocks, most bonds, and cash. Listen as Mark takes a deep dive into the Treasury Department's Series I bond, which offers some hope of protection from inflation. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name's Mark Cunaberti. With the stock market in free fall and most bonds, which are IOUs from businesses and government entities, following suit and dropping right alongside the stocks, investors are looking for alternatives. Cash is safe, but holding cash in an inflationary environment will result in the loss of purchasing power. But there is an investment that offers both inflation protection and the safety of U.S. government backing. A Series I bond offered by the U.S. Treasury Department is currently yielding 9.62%. The interest rate paid on these bonds increases as inflation rises, which is why the yield has skyrocketed. An I bond earns interest two ways, a fixed rate and a variable rate that is adjusted every six months. Note that your rate can also adjust downward if the underlying interest rate falls. The bond's duration is 30 years, but an investor can cash them in at any time after the first 12 months. In the first six months, you'll get the prevailing interest rate at that time. Then your bond will adjust to whatever the new rate is announced in October and adjusts every six months thereafter. If you need cash and turn in the bond before it's at least five years old, you'll pay a penalty over the last three months' worth of interest. But if you do the math, it's only a small portion of the total amount. Interest on the bonds is also exempt from state and local taxes, but you will still have to pay federal taxes on any gains. There are also special tax considerations if you use the proceeds for higher educational purposes. To buy an I-bond, you must be a U.S. citizen, even if you live abroad, a U.S. resident, or a civilian employee of the U.S. government, regardless of where you live. 
trusts and estates can also purchase I bonds in some cases, but corporations, partnerships, and other organizations may not. You need to set up a Treasury Direct account at treasurydirect.gov and have a taxpayer identification number, which is a social security number or similar, a U.S. address, a checking or savings account, an email address, and a web browser that supports 128-bit encryption. Although children under the age of 18 cannot set up a Treasury Direct account and therefore can't buy an I-bond directly, a parent or other adult custodian may open up an account for the minor linked to their own. Once you have an account, Treasury Direct will email your account number, which you can then log into your account. Select Buy Direct and then Series I-Bonds, then select the bank account to use and the date you'd like to make the purchase. The limits are, per calendar year, 10000 in electronic I-Bonds, or 20000 for married couples, or 5000 in paper I-Bonds with your federal income tax refund. You can buy more every year and even set it up to automatically repeat the purchase each year. You can read more about I-Bonds and find out more details or open up an account at treasurydirect.gov. I'm watching the market so you don't have to. That does it for today's Money Matters. Views expressed are my opinions only and may not necessarily reflect those of this station, its staff members, or underwriters, and is not meant as investment advice. I hold a degree in economics with honors in 1979. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com, where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Cunaberti. Thanks for listening. That's our newscast. Keep your radio or other listening device tuned right here to KVMR. At 7 p.m., it's more Don't Miss Radio when Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now!, joins KVMR Steve Baker live on air to talk about the importance of community-supported free speech radio. Coming up next at 6.30, it's Food Sleuth, and the topic is wine. Host Melinda Hemmelgarn looks into the challenge Herbicide Spring presents to grape growers. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Carmen's Garden and Greenhouse, locally owned since 2012 on Lomarica Drive, Grass Valley, stocking greenhouse coverings and components, down-to-earth amendments, IPM products, and more. Open Monday through Friday, 10 to 5, K-A-R-M-E-N-S garden.com and South Yuba Club, offering over 100 classes weekly, including cycling, yoga, swim, pickleball, senior classes, and more. Located in Grass Valley at 130 West Berry Hill Drive. More information online at southyubaclub.com. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Join us Wednesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News. (laughs) 